You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. This morning we're going to be starting a new series, and we're just going to be in the next four weeks going to be in the book of Jonah. I want to thank Tommy who put this series together. He's going to be speaking at the end of this uh, month as he closes the series. Uh, we're going to be looking at this incredible story that really isn't anything to do with, or it hasn't really got much to do with a fish, okay? As much as the, the children's story tales kind of maybe emphasize the fish, and as much as our sermon series graphics have a massive whale on it, uh, the fish gets a couple of mentions. Um, but it's an incredible story, a story about God. We learn, about, we learn a lot about God in this story. We learn a lot about his calling. We learn a lot about his ways. And in this series, we're going to be we need to be prepared to have our illusions of God challenged because many of us will have ideas about God and sometimes we, we kind of like to, to think that God is just like us. Jonah fell for that one. He, he believed that God was just like him. He believed that God uh, hated the people that he hated and liked the people that he liked. He believed uh, that God was uh, able to be kind of controlled or even disobeyed as we're going to see in a little while. Many of us will have illusions about God that are not really biblical, that will actually uh, be challenged as we go through this series. Some of you will have illusions of God as some kind of Father Christmas in the sky uh, that uh, is, is always just, you know, uh, wanting to give you loads of presents. But if you're good, if you're not, then he might not. You, you have illusions of God as uh, maybe as just some uh, vindictive um, being who just wants to strike people down when they, as soon as they get things wrong. Whatever it might be, you're going to have your illusions challenged at some point in this series. In this story, we're going to see that God has compassion on people who are the enemies of Israel. And we're going to see that, that uh, Jonah doesn't like that very much. Jonah had believed God to be a certain way and was going to have his illusions of God challenged. Timothy Keller says, If your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshipping an idealized version of yourself. There's a challenge, isn't it? We're going to be challenged in our view of God as we read this book together. And ultimately, we're going to see a God who is just and who is merciful. And we're going to be pointed to Jesus throughout this series. Because Jesus said of himself, one who is greater than Jonah is here. I'm the greater Jonah. And we're going to be pointed to Jesus as we go through this series, as we see uh, the life of Jonah. So we're going to read chapter 1 today. So if you have a Bible with you, why don't you turn to Jonah chapter 1. It's in the Old Testament. And the verses will come up on the screens as we go through it. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord held a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God, perhaps the God will give us... A thought that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come on, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. 
So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quieten down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked Jonah up and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. What a story so far. Can I encourage you, read on this week. If you don't know this story, read, it, read on. It won't take you very long. We see here Jonah is given a very simple call to go to Nineveh and to preach to them. They need to repent because God, if they don't, is going to destroy them. And instead of... Getting up and going to Nineveh, we see Jonah go in the opposite direction. This seems like quite a simple request of God, a simple command. <clears throat> but we need to understand here that Nineveh was like, it was like Damascus in Syria or Pyongyang in North Korea. This was, like, this was the capital of a terrorist state. This was the capital of a really brutal state. The Assyrian Empire was known for its brutality. There's archaeological evidence that shows that this was a regime that was brutal in every way. The the kings of Assyria, when they conquered other lands, would boast of the the plains just scattered with bodies. They would make people, uh, the women and children who they spared, because they killed many of them, they would make the women and children carry around on poles the heads of their dead relatives. This was horrendous. They were a horrible regime. They would burn whole cities to the ground with people alive in them. So it wasn't quite a simple request for Jonah to get up and go to Nineveh. He hated, he hated the Assyrians. He hated the Ninevites, or the, whatever, whatever the collective noun is for Ninevans, whatever it might be. He hated them. He, he, had a, he, he was a, a, an intensely patriotic man. We see that from elsewhere in the Bible. That he, was, he was someone who really backed the king of Judah. He wanted, to be, uh, he wanted Israel to be uh, victorious and to shine bright in the world. And yet he's called now to go to a nation where it was brutal. Tarshish is in Spain. You need to understand this. Tarshish is in Spain. So he's got the choice of going to Iraq, to, to basically modern day Iraq, which is like a terrorist state at this time, or to Spain. This is his option. He chooses to go to the Costa del Sol for a nice holiday. He runs away. 
To him, his mission made no sense whatsoever. As far as he was concerned, God should destroy these Ninevites. That was, that was what was coming to them. That's what they deserved. But Jonah had a problem, not just with the job that he was given, but with the God that he had. Because God was about to completely blow his mind. Jonah concluded that because he couldn't see any good reason for God's command, that there couldn't be any. He didn't know God. He didn't trust God. And we can be like that too, can't we? We can find as we maybe come across things in his word, or maybe even when we know his prompting to do something, we can think, that doesn't make any sense, God. I'm not going to do that. That's ridiculous. Why on earth should I do that? We need to trust him. That even if we can't see a reason, even if we can't in our, in our uh, mortal uh, bodies, in our kind of finite minds, think of a reason, it doesn't mean there isn't any. God is great. His ways are higher than our ways. And so Jonah doesn't trust God. He thinks that he knows better than God. And we have to make a decision sometimes when God is calling us to do something, when he's commanded us to live in certain ways, we have to make a decision. Are we going to trust our ways and our wisdom? Or are we going to trust God? Are we going to put our trust in God, even if we can't see a logical reason why he might be calling us to do something? The default of the human heart is to decide that we know what's best. That if we can't see any good reason for something, that there can't be any. So Jonah decides to run from God. He decides to go in completely the opposite direction. And Jonah can't see his own sin. He can't see that he is himself living wholly by the mercy of God. That he's only uh, alive because God has shown him mercy. That he's been shown amazing grace by God to be in God's people, to belong to his special people. And sometimes when we have, when we have disdain in our hearts towards others, or a disliking of others, whether it be a people group or whatever it might be, we, we lose sight of the fact that God has shown us mercy. That actually, it's, we have been shown incredible grace, incredible mercy. And that God wants us to extend that to others. So Jonah runs. It says here, in my, my version of the Bible, it says that he runs away from the presence of the Lord. It might say, in your version of the Bible, that he ran away from the face of the Lord. That's how this verse could be accurately translated, that he ran away from the face of the Lord. He knew that he couldn't escape God's presence. He knew Psalm 139. Where can I go from your presence? Nowhere is the answer to that. I can't, there's nowhere in this whole universe, this whole vast universe that we've heard read about this morning that we can go where God's presence is not. But we see here he's, he's run from the face, of the, the face of the Lord. He believes that if he's not face to face with God, that God can't see what he's doing or doesn't care about what he's doing. He thought he could live his life not before the face of his God. We don't know how long it was before this storm came. It could have been weeks. It doesn't really give us an indication here. We don't know how long it took for him to get to the boat that would take him to Tarshish. We don't know how long it would have taken. It could have been days or weeks. And all of that time, Jonah could have been thinking, I'm getting away with this. God doesn't seem to care about this. He doesn't seem to have done anything about this. He's clearly told me to go to Nineveh. And I'm going in completely the opposite direction to go and sun myself in Spain. And I don't think he notices. I don't think he's seen me. And sometimes we can be like that, can't we? We can think, well, no great disaster has 
come upon me. I've done this thing, or I've not done the thing that I should have been doing. And I think I'm okay. I think I'm getting away with this. Maybe God doesn't really see this. Maybe he doesn't really mind. Maybe I'll just come back to him. Maybe Jonah thought, I'll go to Tarshish. I'll let God cool down for a little while. And then in a couple of years' time, I'll come back and make sure that Nineveh's destroyed. Maybe that's what he thought. But this mighty prophet, he's supposed to be like the Billy Graham of his generation. He's supposed to preach to whole cities. He is on the run from God's face, and he thought all was okay. He was supposed to go to a mighty nation and proclaim God, the true and living God. And instead, he's in his pajamas, sleeping under, underneath the deck of this ship, enjoying some downtime. Maybe that's you right now. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're in that situation where you know God is calling you to something. Maybe you know God has arrested you for something and said, I want you to do this. I want you to pursue this. I want you to leave this behind. And you know it. You know what he's calling you to or calling you away from. And you're kind of like fingers in your ears trying to pretend that this is not happening and trying to run from God. Well, he sees. We see in this story that God sees. Maybe this morning is an absolute miracle for you. Just like the storm was actually a miracle of God's provision for Jonah, maybe this morning it's no accident that you're here. That actually this morning God wants to send you a wake-up call and to say to you, listen, I see. I see. Not as a kind of way of telling you off almost, but a way of waking you up from your sleep. And saying, I've got more for you. Maybe you've considered your rebellion from God or towards God and secret sin that no one else knows about. And you've considered it and you thought, it's okay because I'm getting away with it. It's okay. No one else sees. Maybe God doesn't really mind. Well, God doesn't let Jonah go. And I don't believe God's going to let you go. God sends a wake-up call. He hurls a great wind upon the sea. This is literally the same word as it would be to hurl a javelin. He, he is sovereign over all. He can literally, just at a, at a moment's notice, hurl a storm towards the ship. He decides to, to hurl a storm towards Jonah and his fellow sailors. sailors. He's a sovereign God. He brings a wake-up call. And for some, maybe even today, there's a wake-up call coming your way. Maybe there's been some difficulty in your life, and you can't quite work out what God's doing through it. Well, maybe it's a wake-up call, just as this was for Jonah. Maybe it's God saying, I want, I want to get your attention. The Bible doesn't say that every difficulty is as a result of our sin. But it does show us that we will reap what we sow and that every sin really will lead us into some difficulty. There will be some, there, it doesn't mean that we're going to fall out of God's love. No, we believe we're secure in Christ if we've placed our faith in him. But we will see consequences to what we do. We will see us, ourselves reaping what we sow. And here, the results of Jonah's disobedience are immediate and immense. So for some of us, it can be sometimes like uh, radiation. I recently watched a series called Chernobyl, which is about the disaster in Chernobyl uh, many years ago, a few decades ago. And for many people going to that uh, site at the time, they didn't experience any particular um, symptoms of the radiation immediately. But many, many years down the line, they experienced serious health problems and many people died and uh, many people, it wasn't really uh, counted in, the, in the, 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 the death toll, as it were. 
but they actually died as a result of radiation that they picked up at Chernobyl. And for some of us, it can be, well, we don't see kind of immense and immediate uh, results of our disobedience, as it were, but suddenly Jonah experiences this. And so, for some of us, it might be that later down the line, we've given ourselves to some things, and actually we experience something of the consequences of that down the line. This isn't God punishing us as such, but this is something of our reaping what we sow when we give ourselves to wrong things. Some of us might have been hiding in sin and we feel no one's found out, it won't harm us in the long run. Well, it will always harm us in the long run and potentially harm others also. We see this in this story. There's others involved here. Others are in danger here of dying because of Jonah's disobedience to God. But God is a God of mercy and, and he sends the storm sometimes to wake us up. A good friend of mine I was speaking with just a few days ago, we were talking about a, a moment in his life about three or four years ago. He actually brought a testimony of this to the church. Some of you will remember it. And uh, he had actually become uh, caught up in, a, in a, an incident at a football match and was in trouble with, um, with the police. They were investigating this for some time. Uh, it was actually a bit of a misunderstanding. Uh, he knew that he hadn't acted as he should have acted, but he hadn't done what had been uh, purported to, to have done. And he was, in, he was really, at, for some time, facing some trouble. And I cleared this with him that he's happy for me to share this story. But he reflected on it just in the months afterwards. Of This was a wake-up call from God to him. That he knew that he was spiritually very sleepy. That actually he wasn't really living his life before the face of God. You can do that. You can come to church and not be living your life before the face of God. And as he spoke with me the other day, he said, everything has changed in the years since then. God has been doing amazing things in his life ever since then. It's not always been easy, but God has been doing amazing things in his life. He experienced something of a wake-up call. And sometimes we can experience that. Sometimes we just think, oh, here we go again, I'm being treated unfairly. But no, sometimes it's actually God saying, wake up. There's something going on here. You're not living your life before my face. I want you to live every day before me. Enjoy me. Don't run away from me. Don't run into other things. The problem here, though, is that Jonah suddenly has this mission opportunity, but because he's been hiding from the face of God, he's not bold and courageous when this opportunity comes because the sailors come to him and they're saying, what do we do? What's, gonna ha- what's going on? And had he been living his life before the face of God, he would have known, he would have confidence in God to pray and see this storm calmed immediately. But because he'd been running from the face of God, he didn't know this confidence, this authority to say, no, quiet. This supposedly mighty prophet is cowardly at this point. Sometimes we find ourselves with a golden opportunity, don't we? And we, uh, we, people are coming to us with questions or there's an opportunity to share something of Jesus. And sometimes if we've not really been walking before God, we feel cowardly at that time. We feel cowardly. God wants us to be bold as lions. He wants us to be courageous. We need to live our lives before him, before his presence, enjoying him. And then when the moment comes to step up and share, just as the moment came for Jonah, we will be ready. Peter writes in, second, uh, in 1 Peter, in chapter 3, verse 15, he says this, In your hearts, honour Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Do it with gentleness and respect. So he's saying, honour Christ with your life. Honour him as holy with your life. And always be ready 
because people are going to have questions. They're going to ask you, why do you have such a hope in your life? Why do you have hope in the midst of chaos in the world sometimes? Why do you have this hope? Well, Jonah wasn't ready. He wasn't ready to share. But even when Jonah's blown it, it's not the end of the story. We know that God's going to rescue him and will again give him the chance to obey him. Even in Jonah's mess, even in Jonah's disobedience and sin, God is still at work. And he actually saves not just the lives of these sailors, but I believe they come into his family at this point because they call upon his name. They come to know the true and living God. So even in Jonah's mess and disobedience, God is still able to work. That's the sovereign God that we worship. These men find faith in the true God amidst Jonah being thrown in to save their lives. He gets thrown into the raging sea in order to bring salvation to his fellow sailors. Does that remind you of someone? Does that remind you of someone who would say, I'm willingly going to go to my death. I'm willingly going to go into the raging sea of God's wrath. I'm willingly going to go to my death so that others will be saved. Even though he had done no wrong. Even though he, when he received the call from God to go to the earth, he didn't go in the other direction. No, he came straight down to earth. He came and lived a life in poverty. Really? And with friends who were quite dull at times. He didn't live amongst the intellectual elite. No, he, he, he lived a life and even his own family misunderstood him. He came from heaven, a great comfort to earth. He came down and obeyed God wholly. He obeyed God completely. And unlike Jonah, Jesus rejoiced at God's mercy towards foreigners. Unlike Jonah, Jesus loved his enemies. Unlike Jonah, Jesus could take authority over the storms because Jesus lived his life before the face of God. We see in Mark chapter 4 a very, very similar story. You can't read Mark chapter 4 and not be reminded of Jonah. Jesus is on a boat with his friends. And we see here, On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in a boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. That looks very familiar, doesn't it? This boat is about to sink. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. This is exactly the same story. But the greater Jonah is in this story. He was asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, What are you doing? Do you not care that we're perishing? And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind. And he said to the sea, Peace. Be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Unlike Jonah, Jesus was in a storm and was able to say, Be still. Because he had lived his life before the face of God. He wasn't on the run from the face of God. And this Jesus. Even though he calmed this storm, he would be the one who would throw himself into the greatest storm of the righteous anger of God towards our wrongdoing and rebellion. Jesus, on the cross, 
took our sin and our shame upon himself. He became sin, that's what the Bible says, for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. He who knew no sin became sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. We might know complete forgiveness and complete cleansing and a a wonderful welcome into the family of God. This is the greater Jonah, Jesus Christ. We see here how God could be merciful and forgiving to people who have done such evil and be just at the same time. He didn't sweep it under the carpet. No, Jesus on the cross, he knew the justice of God. He knew the justice of God towards sin so that we could know mercy and forgiveness. Only on the cross can that happen. Only on the cross did that happen. And Jesus was buried for three days. Jesus was buried for three days, not in the belly of a big fish like Jonah, but in the tomb, sealed, guarded by big soldiers. To the world, it looked like a tragic ending. There was silence, just as what it would have looked like when Jonah was plunged into the sea. Suddenly, the storm dies down. Silence. And his fellow sailors looked on, thinking this is a tragedy. This guy's died. Well, just as Jesus on the cross, as he breathed his last, it wasn't sailors this time, it was soldiers looked up at him. And one of them knew, this is the Son of God. Surely this this is who he said he was. This is the man who is who he said he was. He's the Son of God. But it was the plan of God all along. It was the plan of God to rescue people like you and me. People who have made a mess of our lives. People who have disobeyed God. People who have gone in the opposite direction to what God has said that we should go. This was God's plan to rescue us. Jonah would be spat out three days later. He'd be given a new life, as it were. Jesus, he arose from the grave three days later. He walked out of the tomb to new life, that he would never perish again. He has risen victoriously. And our life can be changed. This morning, if you are here and you don't know Jesus, your life can be changed today. Today, in this old tatty factory building. Your life can be changed today. So you place your trust in Jesus. As you say, I've made a mess of my life and I know I need a saviour and I trust you, Jesus. Here's my mess. Take it, take it. I trust you took it on the cross for me and I receive your forgiveness. You can say that to him today. You can place your faith in him. For others here, you know this Jesus already and you're kind of on the run. And today is a wake-up call. You may have had other wake-up calls which you've ignored. You may have thought, I don't know why this is happening, but maybe God is arresting your attention because he's got great purposes for you. But maybe you're sleepy. Maybe, you're, maybe you've kind of been on the run from him and you've been sleepy as a result. Maybe you're sleeping in, the, in the, the bowel of a ship that's going in the opposite direction to where God wants you to go. Maybe you're on the run in some way. Today, God wants you to come back to him. To say to him, I want to live for you. I want to live for you. I, I'm fed up of going the wrong way. I realize that just leads to mess. I want to 
make my life all about you. I want to live for you, Lord Jesus. Let's stand together. I'm going to pray for us. And I just believe God's going to do work in hearts as I pray even. Heavenly Father, we just come before you now and we ask that you would speak to us and shape us and change us. Just why don't you say to God, I'm here and I hear you, Lord. I'm here and I hear you. Just say to him right now, I want to live for you. I don't want to go my own way. I don't want to run in the opposite direction. I've seen that that just leads to misery. I want to be in your will. I want to live my life before your face. Lord, I want to live my life before your face. I do pray right now that you would just arrest the attention of anyone who just really needs that right now. That even as we sing, that you would just break into hearts. Just pour out and shower your love and mercy upon hearts right now. Thank you, Lord God. We just praise you that you have provided for us one far greater than Jonah. We praise you that you gave up your son, Father, that he might come to earth and live the perfect life, always before your face. We praise you that he's our only hope. It's not measuring up. It's not... It's, not, it's nothing else other than Jesus. He is our only hope. We praise you that he didn't remain in the grave, but he rose again three days later, that he's victorious over sin, that sin was defeated at the cross. There's no power over us anymore. We praise you that as he rose from the grave, that death itself has been defeated, that we don't need to fear death. Just pray for anyone right now who's just living in the fear of death. Would you come and free people right now as trust is placed in Jesus? Would you come and free people even now, Lord? In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.